You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 194, Jeff Monroe and Stewarding Your Pain. If you're a reader, you're going to like this one. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Every time you download, uh, I see that and I get very, very excited because I know that you're going to hear a conversation that is going to help you on the journey, remind you who you are, who God is, and uh, why he's put you in the world. So today we have a really great conversation. Our guest is the executive vice president of Western Theological Seminary and author of the book Reading Beekner, which is interesting. He's got an interesting story on how that came about. Our guest is Jeff Monroe. Jeff, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks, Eric. I'm really happy to be here. Um, Really excited about our conversation today. I love uh, what you do. So really happy to be invited to be part of it. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to uh, connect with you. Um, so it's interesting because your, your book, Reading Beekner, is coming out uh, or is out by v- IVP, right? They publish it. Yes. And yeah. uh, I do a lot of work with IVP. Many of our authors are, are from InterVarsity Press that we feature here, but, uh, you, you came to me a different way because you spoke at my cousin's church and, uh, uh, in Kansas city and we have mutual friends. Jim gum was a previous guest, you know him. And yes. so he yep. said, Hey, you need to have Jeff on the show. So I'm, I'm really glad to make the acquaintance. Um, and I know Beekner is kind of an interesting story, the way you, you dove into him for your mm-hmm. own personal formation, which is what we like to talk about here. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where God has you right now. Yeah. Um, Y'all, you mentioned I work at a seminary in Holland, Michigan, uh, Western Theological Seminary. I I actually, I and you mentioned Jim Gum. I know Jim because he and I worked for Young Life together. I worked for Young Life for 29 years. Um, and along the way, did a Master of Divinity degree here at this school, uh, was the director of Young Life in Western Michigan, and then was the director of Young Life in Western Europe for a couple of years. And after that, uh, came back and um, started working here eight years ago. So I'm involved in administration, fundraising, communications things. And along the way, I got invited um, through InterVarsity Press. Uh, I've had a long interest in Frederick Beekner, and then... um, got invited to put this book together and yeah, it's out now. It, it came out um, about two months ago, came out in at the end of November. Yeah. Well, I want to dive into Beekner and the kind of the book and cause I know that's part of your story. So let's, let's go through that first yeah. and then we'll talk about it. But basically Beekner is a theologian, right? So that's. Yeah. Pastor, theologian, yeah. Pastor, writer, novelist, lots of different hats. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of, a lot of evangelicals like may not have heard of him, but he, he definitely influences them in some ways, right? Yes. That they probably don't know, which is interesting. Okay. So let's, let's go through your story and I'm sure I know we'll end up getting to, to Beekner as we go. So tell me about, um, where you grew up. Yeah. I, um, 
from Michigan, uh, lived a little bit in Southern Ohio, but then um, went to middle school, high school, uh, college in Michigan, um, mostly on the east side of the state of Michigan, and then um, came here uh, in uh, 1981. Um, long before you were born, Eric. <laughs> no, sure. <laughs> I was born in '76, um, so I'm a little older than that. Okay, well, you were five, <laughs> uh, and I was um, I was sent here by Young Life to um, to go to school and to become a staff person for Young Life in this little town of Holland, Michigan, among all these Dutch people. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, that's that's where it's started, and that's where. Um, at this school at Western uh, Theological Seminary is where I first started reading uh, Frederick Beekner was first introduced to him here. Nice. How did you find Christ initially? Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian family, um, but really uh, came to my own understanding of the Christian faith um, through the, um, the youth group that I was involved in. And our youth group at our church was really modeled after, styled after Young Life. Um, so then uh, I, I really, we, we, we would, even though we had kind of a regular youth group, we would go to Young Life Camp in the summertime, and I couldn't wait to do that and work at Young Life Camps, different things like that. So uh, when I was in college was when I really felt called to ministry and loved Young Life. And so that's when um that's when I, when I felt that call, it was also, I, I felt very specifically that I should be doing something with young life. So that's, mm. that's what I did. Yeah. What was it about that? Is, was there anything you said it was specific? Like how did you, what was that experience like? Take us into that. Yeah. Well, it was so much fun for mm. one. Um, young life's great fun and makes the gospel really attractive. And um, I just, I just think of it as being, um, cool, fun, adventuresome, uh, great relationships, great friendships. Um, it really came to define who I was and my understanding of the Christian faith. I, I wound up, as I mentioned, I think earlier, I wound up working for Young Life for 29 years mm -hmm. in a variety of places, but uh, I'm still connected. I'm, I'm doing something with Young Life on Friday. Yeah, That's been consistent throughout my life. What, so for people who don't know, tell us what Young Life is, because I don't know if everybody knows exactly all yeah. the all of what they do. Yeah, so Young Life is a um, evangelical outreach ministry aimed at adolescents. Uh, their mission statement, they got a great mission statement. Um, the mission is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. So it's both um, evangelical, but also discipleship oriented as part of it. Um, they're, they're really big, uh, have grown a lot um, since, since the years when I got involved in the 80s. Um, and it's part of that whole group of ministries that really started World War II era. Mm -hmm. came up. Um, you know, the majority of kids before that didn't even go to high school in, wow. in the United States. And so when the majority of kids started going to high school and adolescent culture really developed was when Young Life, Youth for Christ, uh, Campus Crusade, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, even InterVarsity, all those things started to develop in this in this country about the same time. Yeah, very interesting. Um, 
because that so because they come up once in a while, and I just thought it might be helpful to to yeah, def- sure. define that, especially since they've had yeah. such an influence in your life. Yeah. Um, okay, so that sounds like probably your a lot of your discipleship, your early kind of learning mm-hmm. and may, owning your faith and developing and f- discovering your gifts even mm-hmm. happened in that context. Well, yeah. Any stories that stand out to you for a time when maybe you discovered a gift or the Lord's moved you in some way that would be interesting to share here? Yeah, well, I was a total goofball, Eric. <laughs> um, still am to some degree, but... Uh, You've got a good sense of humor, I know that. Yeah, just a total goofball. Yeah, and you can't even see my, you know, you and I are looking at each other. People are going to be listening to this. I'll just have to imagine us, but you can't even see in the background on my shelf my my uh, beautiful John Calvin bobblehead doll that I have, so... <laughs> That's that's who I am. Um, Young Life definitely gave me a home. What I'd love to do is tell you this story about um, that that involves Beekner, that uh, really formative experience early in my life. Um, So if you don't mind, I'll tell that. Please do. Take a few minutes. But it's a compelling story. And this is is a story I use in the book that I wrote. Um, 1985. I was, uh, so I came here and, and uh, worked for Young Life full-time and was taking classes part-time at the seminary. And so I took my time going through the seminary. Um, the joke at that time was that, uh, that at one point, one of the professors said to me, we're either going to put you up for tenure or graduate you one or the other because <laughs> you've been here for so long. Um, but in 1985, I was... Um, I was taking classes here. I was a leading young life and I'd gotten engaged, beautiful young woman named Gretchen. She was very fit, healthy. She was an aerobics instructor. Um, and we were going to get married in August of 85. And one month before our wedding date, um, she had a massive stroke, uh, I, she was going to make dinner for us that night. I was house sitting for a, a high school kid uh, with a high school kid, taking care of the house and him for a week while the parents were away. And I was kind of, I remember that day that I was sacked out on a couch in the living room. Um, he was sacked out on another couch. We were, we had a Cubs game on. Harry Carey was droning on in the background. Yeah. Gretchen was going to make us dinner. She came in from work. We gave her a hard time about kind of waking us up. And then she went into the bathroom and just a few seconds later called to me from the bathroom and said, Jeff, come here. And I got up and went there. And when I went in, she was standing up um, and I could see something was wrong. And she said something happened. And um, actually, what I noticed was that there was some drool coming down the left side of her face and that the right side of her face was starting to seize was like having ticks and um, really strange. And um, I said, can you walk to me? And she said, sure. And she tried to take a step forward and she stumbled and, and I grabbed her and pulled her out and uh, woke the high school kid up. And we were, um, Holland's a small town. We were, we were just around the corner from the hospital. So I actually just put her in the car and drove to the hospital rather than calling an ambulance because I could get there in a minute. And I, I mean, I, I drove 70 miles an hour down a residential street 
Um, by this time, she was she was paralyzed on the left side of her body, while the right side of her body was full blown into seizures. Mm. So her right arm was flying around, her left leg or her right leg was flying around. The other side was slumped over. Um, drove into the into the parking lot of the or the entryway into the emergency room crazily and. Somebody was a nurse was coming off of work and she saw the way that I drove in and knew something was wrong, grabbed a wheelchair, helped me get Gretchen inside. And then um, <laughs> this is something else that uh, I, I just will never forget was she slumped over in the wheelchair with her right arm and right leg going off into these seizures and the, the person at the emergency room desk said, well, is this normal behavior for her? <laughs> And I just wanted to scream at yeah. that and say no. And um, we got her into the got her into the emergency room. She was I thought she was having a stroke. That is indeed what happened. No explanation for that. She was 24 years old, totally paralyzed. And what the story I tell in the book um, is there's lots of things I could tell about. Uh, we're married to this day. It's um, uh, going on 35 years, but um, but at that point, as I'm sitting in the emergency room, waiting room, I made one phone call. Other people came in. One, the person I called called other people. Big group of people came in and sat with me, which was wonderful. Um, all kinds of folks from our Young Life Committee, other friends were, were around. But I was sitting at one point between two older men, both guys that I respected a, a great deal, and. Um, this is a couple hours after the event and the, all the adrenaline that had kind of fueled my rush to the hospital was wearing off. And I, um, I just started to think, what's going to happen? I didn't know if she was going to live or going to die. Um, if she did live, I was wondering um, what she was going to be like, was how much damage was being done to her brain right now, how much damage was being done to her body. Mm -hmm. um, and I started wondering if we were going to get married or not. And I, um, I, I just started to cry uh, sitting there. And one of these guys next to me put his hand on my shoulder, and I'll never forget this. Um, and I thought he was going to say some, you know, fatherly <laughs> words of wisdom or something. And he just said, um, "Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't cry. Stop crying." And he said, you know, she needs you to be strong. You've got to be strong. And um, I took his advice. I just stopped crying and I stopped feeling. I stopped feeling what was happening at that, at that moment. And I, and I buried the pain that was going on. And um, I would say from that point forward for several years, uh, the only experience, the only emotion that I could name was numbness mm. other than from time to time anger. And so some time passes, like seven years pass. We got married. We got married on a weekend pass from the hospital. Uh, Gretchen was, we, I had to take her, we got married on a Friday night. I'd take her back to the hospital on Sunday. She was in the hospital for several more weeks. Um, it was a year before she could go back to work. It was five years before she could drive again. 
Um, she gave birth to our two wonderful kids. They were both high-risk pregnancies, but everything, everything went well. But I, through it all, was just kind of a, a runt, a pygmy, <laughs> um, in terms of my own emotional development and ability to, to feel and to say what was going on with me. And it was Frederick Buechner that changed my life. It was reading something by Frederick Buechner mm. that changed my life. And, you know, I think as readers, we, we go to books, at least I do. Um, and I can see you've got this huge library of books behind you as you're talking to me. I think you do too. Yeah, we go to books and we, we, we expect or we want lots of different things, but I think more than anything, we want, we want books that are, that, change our life the people that are mm. authentic enough with what they write about that they actually change our life and that's what Beaker did for me and i i was in the bookstore I have a very vivid memory of this and i saw a new book by Beekner called the clown in the belfry at that point he'd be, become a great um, hero of mine literary hero of mine and i saw this book and i thumbed through it and I saw that there was an essay in the book called Adolescence and the Stewardship of Pain. And the idea that Beekner had written anything dealing with adolescence, because I still worked for Young Life at that point, was really intriguing to me. And then the idea of stewardship of pain, I had no idea what that was about. Stewardship, um, the line I use in the book is stewardship was one of those church words that sounded about as exciting as mortgage amortization. <laughs> but... Um, what he does in that essay is he, he looks at this passage in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, and he imagines what if pain is one of the things that God gives us in this world? And the question for us is, what do we do with it? Are we stewards of it? And, he's, and he uses the example of the three the three servants in that parallel, you know, one gets five talents and trades and makes five more. One gets two talents and trades and makes two more. But the third one with his one talent, what, what does, what does he do? What does he say? He says, I was afraid. I was afraid. And so out of fear, he buried his talent. He buried and Beekner says, what if it's pain? You Out of wow. fear, you bury your pain, you bury your life. And um, I was reading that and I just started to weep. And um, I remember very clearly saying, how does Frederick Beekner know so much about me? Wow. <laughs> he didn't know me, but it was like I was reading my story of, of having buried my life in a sense. And, and he says that, that that place that we get to there is a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth and the outer darkness, and we, we actually cast ourselves into it. And, and that was really profound and really transformative for me. And so this idea of being, becoming a steward of your pain, um, becoming a steward of your life, um, that really, really was deeply formative and uh, powerful for me at that time. And yeah. uh, set me on this journey. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'll tell you one more quick story about that, Eric, just sure. about telling that story, because I've told that story, you know, dozens of times, different groups over the years. 
And one of the first times I, I told it, I remember I was speaking at something. Um, and I remember a guy, after I'd finished, I talked to a few people and then I actually just needed to go to the bathroom. So I was walking into the men's room and a guy followed me into the men's room to tell me about the death of his daughter. Wow. And um, yeah, and just not what you expect, but um, what I realized is pain is the universal human experience and um, giving ourselves permission to, um, to talk about it and to feel it, um, to share it with each other, to somehow become stewards of it uh, is really a liberating, can be a really liberating experience. Um, so that, that's, that's a, a great gift that Frederick Beekner gave to me. It's just a small piece of the whole corpus of his writing, but that really, um, it really changed my life, turned, my, turned me around in a lot of profound ways. Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in that. So during that period of numbness that you had, where did yeah. you think God was? Yeah. You know, um, here's what I, here's what I didn't. Yeah. That's such a great question. What I didn't feel like was that God was in it with me. Mm. I think theologically that's true. I, 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 I really believe that that God was in it with me. But my experience of God during that time, it was um, pro forma in a lot of ways, right? I was supposed to, I did things, I went through motions of things where I just didn't have it inside of me. And I had so many other things going on. I was young, I was, um, I was leading a ministry, I was finishing up at mm -hmm. seminary, I had this new marriage, we were having kids. There were so many other things that I had to do, and yet I was still was plagued with a lot of sense of um, just not emotionally not being attached. Maybe maybe thinking the right things, but just not heart wise feeling it. Yeah, that's so interesting to me too that we can get so um, just separated from our own selves, right? We can piece ourselves out like that. Um, yeah. do you, I'm curious how you feel about the guy who told you that? Cause that's like the yeah. least empathetic thing I've ever yeah. heard. Right. I actually write about that too. Um, and here's what I've, it's taken me a long time. What I realize now is, um, I mean, he was, he was the, he's the one that gave bad advice, but I'm the one who took it. Yeah. And, right. And he was just saying what he thought the thing to do was in the moment. And it's pretty typical masculine advice. If you think about it, yeah. um, as men, we're told a lot in a lot of different ways not to have feelings. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I've gotten to a point of, um, of just saying, you know, he was just saying what he thought was the thing to do. And it was me um, more than him that, uh, it was responsible for what happened with me and what happened. He wasn't telling me don't feel anything for the next seven years. He was simply right. telling me at that moment. He was, I think, and I think he was kind of afraid of the fact that I started crying right next to him. He right. didn't know what to do with that, you know? And, and so I think just in that moment, he reacted the way that he did. Yeah. It was, it was me. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That, that's a fascinating way to look at it. So how did you eventually, so you found Beekner, but how did, and I guess you described some of that. I'm curious, how did your relationship with the Lord develop from there? I mean, did you begin to find more intimacy with the Lord after you 
kind of thawed? I would say that, um, that I did and that, um, but I wouldn't say it's ever been a, you know, (laughs) a climb straight climb to the top as much as, um, a journey that we're all on that has, that goes forward and backwards all the time. For me, um, I found a lot of peace, I think, and it's taken me time to find that peace. Um, I found peace in being in a community. Um, The last eight years at the seminary have been really rich for me in that way. Um, What I'm really formed by today um, and I'm I'm really in touch with today is living in a living. I don't actually live here, but sometimes it feels like I live here. (laughs) Working, I should say, um, in a place that is a that is a community of people that you know we have a daily worship service and the rhythms of daily worship mm. have become so important to me. We have uh, communion together every Friday. That's become, and that's not necessarily a real reformed. You know, we're a reformed seminary. Yeah, it's not a reformed thing to do. Sounds all pretty Catholic, right? But um, that's become so important to me. Um, what I find is, uh, I, I described it to a friend of mine as a, like, I, I, I spend the whole week um, uh, figuring out all the ways I don't believe in God. And then the community calls me back <laughs> to oh, wow. every week. And that experience brings me into intimacy with God. So being a part of the community has become really significant. Another piece just that Beekner's really helped me with is that um, Beekner's uh, very open with his own faith and his own struggles and his own doubt. Um, And one of the great, just to tell you a little story about him that has really, really helped me um, what his first job out of seminary was, he was a school minister at Phillips Exeter, you know, pretty, uh, elite school on the East coast in New Hampshire. And, um, he was there in the late fifties and into the mid sixties at a time of great social unrest, uh, Vietnam war, um, civil rights movement, all that stuff was going on. And he says that the student body was dominated by um, students that that identified themselves as negos, N-E-G-O-S, that were negative about everything. They were certainly negative about authority. They were negative about the war in Vietnam. They were negative about the government. They were negative about the school. They were negative about the chapel that they were forced to go to, mm-hmm. about the school minister that led that chapel that they were forced to listen to. And so as a preacher, Beekner would climb into the pulpit every week and look out at that sea of kids who were there um, or every day. And then every week they had a, a, a weekly service too, a, a Sunday service of kids who were there against their will. And he said what he saw emblazoned on the forehead of every one of those students was three words, a question, is it true. Mm, Wow. And that really shaped him and formed him as a preacher to think that, that everybody that you're listening, that you're talking to everybody that's listening to you when you preach comes with that question in their mind. They want to know if it's true. 
and how we how we experience that in our own lives and have the ability to talk about it truthfully with each other is what I think makes a huge difference. And that's why Beekner has meant it's one another reason why he's meant so much to me is because he does talk in very honest ways about his own experience with God. And um, that's become really significant to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you heard me say our, our tagline is honest conversations with ordinary Christians about yeah. today's Christian experience. And I think that's because it really is, um, it really is valuable to, to be able to, to talk about what you're experiencing with the yeah. Lord. You know, I think we found, we passed 300,000 downloads not too long ago. Uh, yeah. And I think people find that, Hey, if uh, maybe I'm not alone, right. Just like you said, I'm not, I'm not alone. If I also go through doubts or I have this situation, we've had so many people, all kinds of situations people have, but I always think if somebody else is in a similar situation and they get to hear that, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully it'll help them. You know, hopefully it'll remind them that God will get you through it, even though it's yeah. it's difficult. But you know, in the in the world of theology, sitting as I do in a seminary, mm-hmm. experience uh, certainly in reform circles, they're a little suspicious of experience, right? Indeed, they they like things to be objective, and experience feels very subjective. But um, again, I'm I'm atypical in that way. I, I I just think if it's not true in your own life, how can it be true? Yeah. And um, and Beekner, one of Beekner's lines is that all theology, like all novels, is actually autobiography. Oh yeah. Every, that every uh, doctrine was an experience before it was a doctrine. So I'm really drawn to experience and drawn to <laughs> him as a writer and to other writers that I find that have the honesty to talk about their own Christian experience in a way that, um, that, that rings authentic and true. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I think it's all over scripture too. So, you know, well, like obviously scripture is the authority, but it's, you know, you see, you can't read the Psalms and not not see the idea of experience, how they're experiencing God mm-hmm. be that way. And when I started to read even the prophets, I, I wrote a little book. It's six pages. It doesn't, it can't be a book. It's like an ebook, but it's uh, about Habakkuk, you know, cause Habakkuk has this interesting little interplay with God. It's just the story. They call him a complainer, but it's the story of him taking his, Oh, it's upsetting him to God. Right. And then God responds. And then he's like even more upset and he takes it back to God and, God responds again and ends with worship. But it's one thing to read that from a theological perspective and have all the, you know, oh, this is what God's doing and that tells us something about Babylon and all that. That's fine. Um, But to read it for Habakkuk's experience changed my life, right? Like to realize that not only was God not mad that Habakkuk questioned him twice, God engaged him and gave him answers. Because he honored that, and that's where we get the righteous will live by faith, right? He honored that here Habakkuk comes comes to him. Yeah, yeah. A lot of us have trouble with the concept that not only is God not mad at us, but He actually loves us. Yeah, yeah. He the, wants the best for us. He wants to be with us, which is is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Okay, so so Bigner's had a huge part of your of your. Uh, 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 discipleship and your kind of thought life for sure in your, in your heart. Yeah. 
Wow. Have you ever been through a dark night of the soul? I mean, maybe going, you know, feeling like you were seven years detached from your emotions is one, but is there, have you ever had a time when God felt far away or distant? Yeah, I would say so. Um, You know, I, I, I left young life uh, at a time like that in my life. Um, And, and part of that was, I was, we'd gone to Europe um, and I, I thought that um, I thought that was going to be a move that was going to be the last thing I was going to do. I would stay there and do that through the rest of my career. And after um, a number of months, maybe nine months, I just was like, this is not it. And it it was personally really difficult. It was professionally really difficult. Um, And so I, I always think if personally, if something is, difficult, but professionally you're doing well, you stick it out. And, or if, um, professionally something's tough, but personally you're doing well, you stick it out, but both of them were not, um, were not going well. And, and I just felt like it was time to pull the plug on it and admit that I had failed at something I thought I was going to succeed at, Mm. um, that I was at the end of a road and I didn't know what was going to happen next. I resigned in a hotel room in Spain, which is not the way I ever imagined my life coming out, you know, my career, 29 years in a, in a particular ministry. Wow. Um, came back to the U S uh, I didn't, I resigned. I didn't make, you know, I didn't get fired. I could have gotten so much more money if I would have got fired. Right. They'd have to pay me severance after, you know, 30 years of severance or something like that. But I, I just, I didn't do that. Um, and came back and and came back home and didn't know what was going to be next. And so that was really a difficult time, an empty time. Um, and I, I don't have any great, I mean, I didn't have any. So then I picked up this book and it changed my life. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't have any great picture for that other than there are times in life where you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, um, and kept going on. And then... Um, this is something I'll tell you two stories that both have to do with how I think sometimes this is, this is the reform piece of me that that Uh, God's providence, that God's sovereignty comes through in ways that we don't, we don't imagine. Um, So I came back and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And so I cobbled some things together and i had this unplanned sabbatical. I was, um, doing some stuff for InterVarsity, actually, through a friend of mine doing some consulting on, because I'd raised a lot of money with Young Life and and to do the European thing. And then I'd raise some money for a Young Life camp. So I was doing some consulting with InterVarsity around, around fundraising, just doing preaching and teaching and writing stuff when I could. And then out of the blue, one day, I get a phone call. Um, from a guy who I, I knew, but I didn't know, you know, we kind of were aware of each other, but we weren't yeah. really close. And he said, Hey, I want to know if you want to be the vice president of Western theological seminary. Wow. <laughs> and I said, um, I don't know if I want to be that or not, but, uh, I'd be interested in getting together and talking about it. And so, um, and I, you know, I tried to find jobs. I, I applied and I'd had some I'd had two or three experiences where I came in second place for things. And at that, at the time when I got this phone call from this guy, I was like, I'm not ready. I, 
if if you're talking to me about entering a pool with 12 other candidates and coming to the end and getting rejected again, I don't think I can take that. Yeah. I don't think my ego could take that again. And so he just said, well, I'll come in and let's talk and then get together with the president and talk. And that was so, so that was life changing, but it was not something that I saw. Um, it happened to me. And that, that's why I think of the reform sense of God's grace. Sometimes things happen to you. The, the second story has to do with the book uh, and how I came to write it. And that is that um, I, so I've done a lot of Beekner stuff over the years um, at different things, um, kind of got a reputation in some circles, I guess, as being a Beekner expert. Um, there was a thing for a while called the Beekner Institute. I was on the board of, and I used to do presentations there. And through that, met some other people. Well, through that, I got an invitation and I, and I was, this is in 2017, I was invited to go to a workshop, a writing workshop at Princeton Theological Seminary that was named after Beekner. It's a Frederick Beekner writing workshop and to talk about Beekner at it. And so I did, and, and there were maybe 300 people. They had Anne Lamont was the headliner. Oh, wow. Yeah, big name. There are all these people there. So then I'm doing my little seminar and and 20 people come. I mean, maybe 20 people come to my seminar. So I was so frustrated because I was like, hey, I've, I thought, you know, 300 people, at least, you know, 100 of them should have come to my thing, but they didn't. So 20 people come and I do my dog and pony show about Beaker. I told the story about Gretchen Stroke that I told you um, as part of that. And there's a guy that's sitting in the front that's really kind of into it. And, um, and so when the thing ends, he, he comes up to me and tells me how much he enjoyed it and, and introduces himself and tells me his name is Jeff Crosby and that he's the publisher of InterVarsity Press. Wow. You know, he's the, he's the president, he's the CEO of, of IVP. And so I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then a day later, I run into him again and he says, hey, do you see what I put on Facebook? <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm like, we're not, face we weren't, we are now, but we weren't then Facebook friends. I didn't know what he put on Facebook. And so I said, no. And he said, well, I put on how much I enjoyed your presentation yesterday. And I said, thanks. That that's nice. And he said, and then a, a friend wrote, get him to write a book. And I wrote back, I intend to. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, really? And so that's where that came from. It was not something that I was seeking to do. It came to me. And then um, he was doing this kind of funny. He was doing a um, seminar on putting together nonfiction book proposals. And I had not intended to go to that seminar because I wasn't doing something. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I need to go to that seminar. Maybe I need to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. So I go to it. And this is even funnier. I go to it and I'm sitting there and I'm taking copious notes because this is everything I needed to do. I was learning. Um, and somebody asks him, um, is it true that you would actually meet somebody at something like this, an unknown person, and they would wind up getting a book deal from you? And Jeff Crosby says, yeah, it's already happened here. <laughs> I'm looking around thinking, wow. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, he's talking about me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> wow. Wild. Yeah. 
So that's how this that's how this whole thing happened. Um, I put a proposal together, tons of work, uh, lots of research, um, put a proposal together, and uh, and that you know, that was in. I think I got the contract, signed the contract about um, the 1st of November, 2017. And the book was out by uh, Thanksgiving of 2019. So two-year process. Yeah, it takes a while. Uh, I've been doing some work with a little publisher here in town. And I had no idea how long books take and how long that process is. It's it's an awful lot uh, between, like you said, a, a proposal to actually yeah. work in the manuscript. So and, here's know. an interesting thing, Eric. Um, there were times in my, I've always liked writing. There were times in my life when that would have been like it for me to, I would have loved to have something like this happen. Yeah. And when it did happen, I wasn't looking at all for it to happen. And mm. that's an interesting thing to me on sometimes the way the way things work out or, or Beekner would say that our lives have plot lines working in them, the way that God moves things around in our lives. Um, That maybe sometimes at the time, the time you want it, you're probably, you're probably not ready. Um, In some ways you you get to a point where you don't want it or not so much don't want it, but you're not seeking it. Um, And it happens and maybe you're, you're better off than, uh, being able to deal with everything that, that accompanies it. Absolutely. Wow. I love that. You never know. It's, it's hard. Waiting is hard, right? Wait, being in that season when it feels like God is not, uh, not giving you the things you want, but sometimes you just need to wait. And I think that's one of the, yeah. one of the morals of the story. Yeah. We're, we're asked a lot in the Christian life to be patient. Yeah. And I don't, think that patience is a virtue that our culture uh, particularly asks us to uh, no. <laughs> to develop. Um, you know, we just saw just a sidelight. Um, we saw the movie A Hidden Life Monday Night, uh, which is this fantastic, fantastic Christian message in this movie. But the pacing of the movie is kind of slow. Mm. And it makes you think and gives you room to think and um, and it's demanding that you're patient. And I think the word was out because Gretchen and I were the only two people in this theater of 200, you know, 200 seat theater. And we're the only we had a private showing on a on a Monday night in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wow. I just think that's so countercultural to say to be patient, to think, to um to take your time with something. And, um, but that's that to me, that's how we grow. That's what the Christian life is often about. And, um, and I think I've reached, I've reached a point in life um, where I'm okay with that. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like you are much, uh, much more comfortable just being where you are and being, being who you are, who God made you to be. Trying to, Eric. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, right? And uh, and it sounds like Beaker Beekner brought you there as well as at least God used him as is part of the story. Yeah, very true. Wow. Okay. Well, friends, I've got links as always to uh, 
the book and everything that we talked about here. The book is Reading Beekner, Exploring the Work of a Master Memoirist, Novelist, and Theologian and Preacher. And uh, so if you're interested, if you've never even heard of Frederick Beekner, uh, you should pick it up, check it out, and uh, and at least use this as a starting place. I know I'm interested in reading The Clown and the Belfry because that sounds, uh, sounds pretty yeah pretty interesting as well so that's i got links to that and everything else in the show notes at halfway there podcast.com i love that jeff do you have anything you want to leave us with hey eric it's just great talking with you and i'd say god bless you and god bless the folks that listen to this thanks for the opportunity to share with you today thanks brother i appreciate it yeah